Hey, good morning, and welcome to Regeneration. We are so glad to have you here this morning. Um, although I feel a little bit like Hermione, my hair just keeps getting bigger like all day with the humidity. So I was like, huh, that's like puffier than it was. <laughs> um, did you say same, Erin? Yeah, you and me both. Um, and then we will have more details coming next week about summer camp, but our one thing for the summer is going to be our journey on um, summer sports camp. And so Kat is here, which they'll get introduced in a little bit, but we'll be meeting this week, so we'll have more information for you about that next week. Um, and I think that that is it. Kyle, I'm like looking at you. Is that all oh, the announcements? Sure. sure, we're going to say that. We're going to call it good. That's our... Oh, great. <laughs> You're not even listening. All right. Erin, uh, do you want to come up and pray for our offering? It's the fire of the Lord. It's the fire. Um, we're going to take offering. Um, I'm going to pass these buckets around. So if you want to go ahead and pray with me, that'd be great. Jesus, thank you for um, the opportunity and the, the privilege to come together as your church and to make an offering to you, not only of um, our financial resources, but of our time this morning. Um, and of our singing, our voices, and uh, the way that we love each other. God, I just ask that that would be pleasing to you um, and that you would be blessed by that. Amen. Hey, Father. Um, To say that we welcome you here isn't the most accurate because you were here when we walked in. Um, so really, Father, we just want to give you our attention today. We want to give you our affection today. We want to notice what you're doing in our lives. And God, the thing that we notice first is that you are just so glad to be with us today. So whatever it is that we brought into the room, we just lay before you um, and invite you to speak as you speak, to love as you love, to be with as only you can be with, God. We offer you more of ourselves today. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Hi fam, what's up? Let me get myself situated. Super excited to be here, super excited for this, uh, this sermon and this message. We had church at Grace Campus today. Like we had church, like watch out, you know what I mean? So uh, let's see if we can do that again. It was mostly not me, but hopefully that comes with me. Um, a couple people to introduce you to this morning. Um, I want to start with my friend Holly. So Holly, come at me here. Um, Holly is the principal at McGuffey K8 on the north side of Warren that we do a lot with, and she's just here to, I will let her tell you what. Good morning. Oh, it's coming. I think I gave her red, Dan. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I can't thank you on behalf enough from my nearly 800 students and our 100 staff members. As we sang this morning, um, I've got to experience God's goodness through you. And I can't thank Pastor Kyle, Stephanie, Lindsay, and all of you through the various events that you've helped host, through 
being there for us during tragic events when we lost two students. Just the love of Jesus shines through, through all of you, and I can't thank you enough. You rock, and we love you. Oh, I love you. And you're awesome. So <laughs> thanks for letting us serve with you. Um, yeah, Holly's the bomb. I have never seen... Um, I, I grew up going to Lakeview, and I just remember sometimes being in the office, and it seemed like very calm. Going to McGuffey's office, and stuff is happening. You know what I mean? So that's super cool, too. Oh, um, I'm going to... Kathy, give me one second. I just want them to meet Danny and Kat. Um, Danny and Kat, please come on up. There's somebody else that I want you to meet. Um, this is Danny and Kat, who... Danny preached in March. Was that March? But you were still single then. They're married now. And... Um, so uh, this is Danny and Kat. Yes, yes, this is great. They're precious. Danny and Kat are our summer interns. A lot of you weren't even part of our family yet when all of this went down, but Danny was our intern in 2016. Um, and then Kat, who was at the time his girlfriend, came last summer. And um, then they're back together this summer, the interns dresser. So together, and we're super excited about that. So um, a couple things we'll be doing. Kat's doing our summer camp. Danny will be preaching a lot. And I actually failed to mention this at last campus. Um, one of the things that they're going to be doing this summer is developing a small group for middle school and high school students that will meet um, actually at the home they're renting in Southington, maybe, or somewhere else. We don't know yet. Um, it has a pond. They don't even know where it is because they've not even been there yet. So we'll find out if it's kid-friendly first. Um, and then uh, that'll transition into a small group that... Um, Aaron, wherever Aaron is, and Rebecca Anderson are going to co-lead then come the fall. So we're super excited. So this is them. Hug them, love them, make them part of our family this summer. They're with us through August, and uh, they'll be at the feast tonight, so you're going to meet them. So love you guys. Go ahead and have a seat, and we're going to jump in. We're going to be in Matthew 5. So grab your Bible, turn it on, do whatever you need to do. What? Release the kids. Kathy is waving. Kids can go back to Regen Rangers. Hello. Off they go. Matthew 5. If you got a Bible, grab it. Get all my stuff out here. I think I've got a pen somewhere too. Just Okay. Matthew 5. Uh, let me pray one more time. Is that okay? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us through it. And um, God, I pray that um, you would keep your promise that wherever uh, your word is explained, your voice is heard. So we invite you to speak today um, and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Netflix show Stranger Things, yes, woo, is perhaps one of the greatest things to happen to television in our era. Um, it tells the story of a small town in Indiana where something is happening, and we don't know what. And by the way, just to get out ahead of this, we did a series called This Is Us this fall, and I showed you clips from that show. And somebody was like, how are you going to do clips from Stranger Things to show? I'm not doing clips from Stranger Things. So everybody's, half the room gets up and leaves. You know, I don't know. In the small town in Indiana, something is happening. Some other world is bumping up against and spilling over into our world. And four friends are pulled right into the middle of it. Four friends are pulled right into the middle of it. And when they meet a girl named Eleven, Eleven has some sort of powers that don't make sense. And Eleven, it turns out, is a part of our world. Sorry, this, this ear thing. I don't want, what'd you do, Aaron? Did you break this? No. It is a little. Um, Eleven, it turns out, is simultaneously part of our world but also part of this other world that is bumping up against and spilling into our world. They call it 
the Upside Down. Stranger Things, I would argue, is the most Christian television show uh, to date. And it does not include a Christian arguing with their atheist philosophy professor. And it does not include somebody accepting Jesus at the end of the movie. But it accurately tells the story of Jesus, of a person who is unlike any other and who in their arrival brings with them this other world brings with them this other world that is bumping up against and spilling into our world, and it's happening through a person in the show that is unlike anyone we've ever seen before, and Eleven, frankly, is a Christ type in the show. Because the Gospel of Matthew opens up, this guy named Jesus is is on the scene in the first century world, and he he begins his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, and in verse 17 says, from that time, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. It is breaking through. The story of Jesus is this, that the kingdom of God, and I would say this, a lot of us were raised in church where the story of Jesus is that he loved me and gave himself up for me, died and rose again. That's true. That happens in the larger picture of the story of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which is the place where the rule and reign of God is unhindered, is breaking into our world through the person of Jesus, and, is, and, is, and that breaking in is accomplished thus through his life and death and resurrection. Jesus possessed, like 11, abilities that nobody else had. Jesus possessed abilities that nobody else had. This is why people came running to him. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 Uh, It says, uh, hit me with the next one here, Dan. It says, and he, Jesus, went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Dallas Willard, who I'm going to reference a lot, might be one of the brightest minds of the last century. Dallas Willard says that the kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done. The kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done. God does not want sickness. He does not want disease. He does not want demon oppression. And so when the kingdom breaks in, sickness, disease, demon oppression are chased away. Jesus possesses abilities that no one else has, but he also possesses insight that nobody else has. As interesting as his miracles were and are, as interesting as those things were, What captivated people even more was his teaching, which is why when he taught the universal response, the gospels say this a couple different places, people were amazed at what he was saying because he taught as one who had authority. In other words, this guy really knows what's going on. He has a grasp that other people don't about the nature of the world, about how things go. And so as we turn our attention to Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, we want to hold that in mind. Jesus is surrounded by all of these people that he has healed. He's always surrounded by crowds at this point, and he sees all of these crowds, all of these people that he's healed, and he climbs up on a mount, the Sermon on the Mount, and he saw the crowds gathering. This is Matthew 5.1. He saw the crowds gathering, and he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. He climbs up a hill, and he preaches a sermon. 
Now, this is important because the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, is a sustained unit of thought. Here's your homework. Sometime this summer, which we're going to be in this Sermon on the Mount all summer, read the Sermon on the Mount in one sitting from beginning to end. That's how they heard it. It was one thing. It's a sustained unit of thought. And it's Jesus preaching a sermon about the nature of the kingdom that is breaking through in his person. In this sermon, this is why Jesus taught as one who had authority. This is why people knew he had it going on. In this sermon, he answers the questions about the good life, about entering into well-being, about happiness, about who among us is really a good person. He answers these questions, these key questions. What is happiness? What is a good life? How do I be a good person? He answers these questions, questions which, by the way, philosophers have been trying to answer for thousands of years before Jesus and after. He answers these questions in a way that amazes people because he actually understands what's going on. In the Sermon on the Mount, we find a Jesus not just who isn't, who isn't kind. I mean, he is kind. He, he isn't just wise. We find in the Sermon on the Mount a Jesus who is smart. And you cannot confess Jesus is Lord without first confessing Jesus is smart. If I asked you to make a list of the 20 smartest people in the world, Jesus would not be on it and you would be wrong. Jesus teaches as one who has authority because he understands the nature of things. And so in Matthew 5... This kingdom is being announced and described. In chapter 4, repent and believe. Let me show you what it looks like for the kingdom to be at hand. Now, chapter 5, let me tell you what is happening in this kingdom. He offers a sermon, which we could also call Jesus' manifesto for a whole new way to be human in the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus' manifesto for a whole new way to be human in, in the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God. He gets up there. And look at what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes is what this section of the Sermon on the Mount is called is probably some of the most memorable words in scripture, and I'm going to argue today the most misunderstood. The most misunderstood. So let me tell you three things that the Beatitudes are not. I'm actually going to pull an Aaron Jesse. I'm going to list them and then tell you what they are. So they are not a list of virtues. They are not a list of commands. They are not a list of timeless truths. Not virtues, not commands, not timeless truths. So first, they're not a, the Beatitudes, they're not a list of virtues. This is a really common mistake. We moralize the Beatitudes. These are virtues we think Jesus is telling us to have, which isn't unfair uh, because there's things like um, being pure in heart or being peacemaking. Those sound like virtues, except to be pure in heart in the ancient Near East means to be just a little bit dull. And to be meek isn't to be humble and cute. To be meek is to be easily stomped on. See, Jesus also uses words that aren't all virtues. He says, blessed are those who mourn. 
Church, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't freak out. Is mourning a good thing? Is mourning a good thing? It is not a good thing. Why is mourning a good thing? Why is being sad a good thing? The text does not say, blessed are those who mourn for their sin. It says, blessed are those who mourn. Is it good to be poor? No. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, which then we try to turn around and say, especially like a lot of the books that I've, I've been researching my head off, especially a lot of these kind of popular level teachers will say, blessed are those who know they are like poor in spirit, that know they need God. That's not what it says. It says, blessed are the, pato- blessed are the patokos. Patokos means the people that don't have two pennies to rub together and who are trapped in generational poverty. Is generational poverty good? No. So it can't be a list of virtues. If, if Jesus doesn't consistently use things that are good, it can't be a list of virtues. It also can't be a list of commands to obey because we read this, and I'm watching all of you that are churched and you're having like a freak out. Um, but we're going to kind of readjust what the Sermon on the Mount is actually doing. It, it's also not a list of commands to obey because if it's virtues that are good, we want to have those, so it's probably commands to obey. But Jesus isn't telling you to be a peacemaker here. If you want to, if he tells you to be a peacemaker elsewhere, in the book of Romans, for example, he says, uh, as much as it relies on you, be at peace with all men. He tells you to be humble other places. For example, Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves. Go, Harlow, go. Um, what? Oh, she got excited. He is not commanding you to be a peacemaker. He's not commanding you to be meek. He's not commanding you to be poor in spirit. He's not commanding you to be persecuted. These are not commands to obey because if they were commands to obey, this is what he would actually be doing. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is deconstructing righteousness by works. He cannot replace righteousness by works with righteousness by attitude. Oh, if you just have this attitude, then you are righteous and you are blessed. That's not what he is telling us to do. Jesus is trying to deconstruct a legalism of righteousness by works. If he offers us righteousness by attitude or affection, he hasn't moved the needle at all. He has to be doing something different. He is not offering us a list of spiritual haves and have-nots. Lastly, the Beatitudes are not a, a list of timeless truths. Here's what I mean by that. There are eight Beatitudes, two of them are in the present tense, six of them are in the future tense. And that's not just like Matthew got bored and decided to like write these words, okay? Matthew's trying to make a point. And the point is that as the people of Jesus, we live in the bumping up against two worlds or even two ages. We live at this kind of moment where the age of what was, the age of death and sin reigning, is passing away as the kingdom is coming more and more and more. We sing that song, right? Glory to glory, closer and closer, louder and louder. It's getting there. But it's not here yet. This kingdom that is in-breaking and overtaking the world is a place where the the morning shall be comforted, that the, the wounds that hurt us will be healed, but possibly may not always be healed in this life. My hunger and thirst for righteousness, which, which is, uh, I, I so badly want to see this person who has done me wrong get what they deserve, that may not happen now. It may happen later. What I'm, what I'm articulating this for is a lot of us have an over-realized eschatology, which means we take the promises for what will happen at the end and assume they're for right now. And they're here kind of, they're already, but not yet. 
The kingdom has not yet come. It, is co- it has come as a taste. It has come as D-Day, but the victory isn't totally complete until the last judgment. We're living in this already but not yet. And N.T. Wright says it's like two millstones grinding against one another that make the flower, which all of us who play medieval-themed role-playing games know. But um, that's how you make flour, two giant stones rubbing together, pushes the wheat into flour. We are the grains of wheat, living as these two ages kind of rub up against one another. This is why suffering is an inherent part of our faith. Because Paul says in Colossians, we are filling up, have fun with this, we are filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church, his body. It's an inevitable part. We have victory over what harms us. We do not need to be afraid. That does not prevent bad things from happening. That's why there are shall be's and not entirely will be's. So it's not a list of virtues, a list of commands, or, or timeless truths. If you want to know more about that rubbing up against, go home and read Romans 8. Right? Because Paul talks about how all of creation has been subjected to something and we're longing for something to be fulfilled but it's not fulfilled yet. So what are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are a declaration of who the kingdom is for, who the kingdom is built to receive. It is a declaration of what the kingdom is like. So what's not surprising about the Beatitudes is what the kingdom is like. It's a place where our wounds and our hurts receive healing. It's a place where we receive justice. It's a place where the king makes all things new. It's a place that we take up our roles that God built for us. What does surprise us is who, uh, is who the kingdom is built for, who has a family resemblance to God. And, and plot twist, it is not the hardworking It is not the especially religious. It is not the financially responsible. It is not the Republicans. It is not the Democrats. It's it's the one who's poor. It's the underdog. It's the overlooked. It's the hurting. In each beatitude, Jesus does this. Look at this little equation. This is kind of how he structures all eight of them. A beatitude is blessed plus a surprising kind of person, plus a generous blessing. Blessed are somebody. Of course they're blessed because they're going to see God is one of the Beatitudes. The problem is is that blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the blank for there's the kingdom of heaven. Of course they're blessed because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's just to our surprise that it is the poor in spirit. Right out of the gate, Jesus redefines what it means to be blessed because he uses a surprising word for blessed. If you're actually reading the Bibles that we have in the pew, the blue one or the New Living Translation, it is the first time I have felt this translation fail me because it gets this wrong. Because the NLT says, blessed by God are the poor in spirit. Or God blesses the poor in spirit. That's not what that, they're using the wrong word. The word that is correct is markarios. Markarios is, there's two words for for blessed in Greek, one of them is the one that God is the subject of, eulabes, or the Hebrew word baruch, okay? The other word is markarios, and markarios is a word that I walked into Dan and Caitlin Collins' uh, room when they had Luke, and I said, markarios. Uh, when, when, uh, when, when, when Dolores got this job, markarios. When your friend uh, gets engaged, markarios, unless you're single and a little grumpy, and it's like, ah, markarios. 
it means congratulations. It means congratulations. Jesus offers congratulations because something good is happening or is ultimately going to happen when the kingdom comes in its fullness. Congratulations, you're going to inherit the earth. Congratulations, you're going to be satisfied. Congratulations, you're going to see God. But what catches us by surprise, again, is the kind of people Jesus congratulates. Because Jesus does not say, congratulations, Bible scholars, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. He does not say, congratulations, church members, for you shall inherit the earth. He does not say, congratulations are the nice people, because they too will be patted on the back. He does not say, congratulations are the big givers, because they will be compensated. He doesn't say, congratulations to the responsible, because they shall be rewarded for their labor. No, he says, congratulations to the poor in spirit. A phrase that means both economically bankrupt and spiritually poor, spiritually impoverished. Dallas Willard translates this as the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, the deprived and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion. Congratulations to you, my friends, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says, congratulations to those who mourn, those who are sad, not for sin, but who are sad because of the loss of a child or a parent or a marriage. Instead, Jesus congratulates the meek, the trampled on, the doormats. He congratulates the peacemakers. And the peacemaker, you want to know who the peacemaker are? The peacemaker is that like lone person still on Wall Street doing the Occupy Wall Street thing like three years later. They're the people that have like crazy eyes. Do you know what I mean? John Mark Comer, who is like one of my new favorite pastors to really listen to, kind of translates these and I'm stealing it and reworking it a little bit. But this is really what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the down and out, the unemployed and the underemployed, those living paycheck to paycheck, those in debt, those without a college degree or health insurance, and to those who are spiritually simple, who really have very little to offer, and the skeptics and the doubters, because they are in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the sad, the depressed, those grieving the death of a loved one, the failure of a miscarriage, uh, the failure of a marriage, the pain of your past, the racism of our, nature, of our nation, because one day God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed are the quiet, the shy, the socially awkward, the uncool, the badly dressed, the people with six followers on Twitter or with no Twitter at all, because one day they will be free from the tyranny of what others think of them, and they will take up their role as a king or queen in God's world. Blessed are the messed up, Somebody probably just got another Twitter follower. Congrats. Um, (laughs) Blessed are the messed up, those who can't, just can't get it together, the addict, the mentally unstable, the overweight, those from an abusive home, for they will one day be so full of God's life that they won't know where to put it all. Blessed are the protesters, the Black Lives Matter and the Blue Lives Matter and the Save the Earth and Save the Whales and Save the Baby Marchers, all those who hold a torch for causes at which we roll our eyes. And to those who are languishing under the weight of a false verdict or watch as their abuser walks free, one day you will be satisfied when God himself puts all things to rights. Blessed is the little guy, the underdog, the people who get stomped on, passed over, and don't fight violence with violence. One day they will get all that mercy back with interest. Blessed are all the Christians in a post-Christian culture that is hostile to all they believe. Even though they are made fun of, looked down on as stupid or mean or bigoted or behind the times, they get to share in the cross-shaped life of Jesus and in the kingdom of God. 
In Matthew 5, in Matthew 5, Jesus offers his manifesto for a whole new way to be human and the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God. And it is nothing less, it is nothing less than a passport and a guidebook for living in this world that is bumping up into and spilling over into our world. It is nothing less than a passport and a guidebook for living in the upside down. Because that's what the kingdom is. He says, bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Perhaps the the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount as a whole is perhaps the most un-American document that ever existed. And it's fascinating to me that Christians across our country will fight tooth and nail to have the Ten Commandments put into a courthouse and, and, and not the Beatitudes. The, the Ten Commandments were the, were the snapshot, the, snapshot the, the rule of thumb for what it meant to be in the Old Covenant. And fun fact, Moses climbed up a mountain to go get them and brought them down. The Beatitudes are the thumbnail and snapshot for an agenda of the kingdom of God, and Jesus climbs up a mountain to tell them about us. Tell us about them. There's a Jesus-Moses thing happening. We like the Ten Commandments. Do you know why? Because somebody gets to be wrong, and it's the person that we want to be wrong. We don't like the Beatitudes as much because the person who is wrong is usually the person we don't want to be wrong. And it is hard to commit to convict somebody with a life sentence when there's on the wall, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus climbs up a mountain and opens his mouth and drags us right into the upside down. And of all the stranger things of this world, of all the stranger things of this world, the kingdom of our father, which breaks through into our world through Jesus' life and death and resurrection is probably the strangest. It's probably the strangest. And it really should come as no surprise to us, by the way, that this is what the kingdom is like, that it is upside down. When you consider King Jesus became a man and did not come with an army, but came as a baby who was born into poverty and who lived his life as a homeless rabbi. It should come as no surprise that the kingdom is upside down when its greatest victory was accomplished through death. It should come as no surprise that Jesus demonstrates true power and true control by presenting himself to us powerless. As powerless. Of all the stranger things in this world, the kingdom of our Father is probably the strangest because in this kingdom it is not the well-off who are congratulated, but the poor. It is not the happy, but the sad. It is not the religious or the especially devout, but it is the spiritual zeros. It is the cynic and the doubter, and the people with their ducks not in a row, which begs a question. This is important. And and you are probably asking this question already. What if I am not on the list? What if I'm not on the list? I am hardworking. I'm not in debt. I'm pretty sure, right? Yes. Some, Some school debt. Okay, I had to think about that. I am spiritually responsible. I am a church member. I'm not on this list. I'm a white guy. 
living in America in the 21st century in Northeast Ohio, I'm doing okay. I'm not on this list. So what happens if I'm not on this list? What if I'm not meek or a peacemaker or poor or mourning? What if, what if I'm this hardworking, happy, and well-respected person? What if I'm not on this list? Let's, let's start with this. Remember that the goal of the Beatitudes isn't to get you to be like the people on this list. It's to declare to the least and the last and the lost that the kingdom of our Father is a place for them. The opening message about the kingdom of God, what Jesus has come to accomplish, is a declaration not to the powerful or the people that have it all together, but to the least, the last, and the lost, that the kingdom of our Father is a place for them. They are to be congratulated because despite what they may think, despite what they may have heard, and frankly, despite how the American church has presented itself for the last 60 years, people like that are included. The least, the last, and the lost are welcomed into this kingdom too. The kingdom is for the single mom pregnant a third time with a different guy. The kingdom is for the peace protester. The kingdom is for, isn't for the perfect picture family with their Olin Mills smiles on. It's for the family that is racked by conflict and grief and frustration and on the verge of divorce. The kingdom isn't for the church member with perfect attendance and a room named after them because they wrote a big check. It's for the person who just rolled in without a penny to their name. And here's what Jesus is getting at, and this is important. If the kingdom really is for the least and the last and the lost, the ragamuffin among us, then it's got to be for you and me too. If the kingdom of our Father is for the least, the last, and the lost, then it's got to be for me too. If the kingdom welcomes in the peacemaker and the meek and the, and the trampled and the poor, God looks at me and the way that I throw around my righteousness and my intellectual capital and my big voice. I'm the least meek person you'll ever meet. I'm the loudest person in any room. And Jesus looks at me and says, come here, you big dummy, and let me give you a kiss. Come on inside. Because this leads to two realizations, church. This leads to two things. The first is that, uh, is that it, this Jesus would dare to build a kingdom that is not on the foundation of the American dream. The kingdom is built on this other thing. The kingdom is doing this different thing. And the realization I come to is that if all of these people are in the kingdom, the least, the last, and the lost, and I am in the kingdom too, then it must be because I was the least, the last, and the lost after all. I'm not different from them. I just look nicer on the outside. This is why Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the, into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus himself says, I, I didn't come to spend time with the healthy because the healthy don't need a doctor. Jesus came to serve and to heal and to save and deliver and he chases after the least and the last and the lost and when I strip down my self-righteousness and my religious accomplishment and my nice house and my nice car and my nice this and my nice that, I am just as impoverished, I am just as needy and I am just as lost as these people that Jesus says the kingdom is built for. So good news, I've gotta be included too. And so have you. Which means a second thing. If this is a list of who is included, I'm going to lay my life down 
to make sure every kind of person, every person who is the least and the last and the last, everyone knows that they too are included. This is, this is what I'm going to lay down my life for, and it is not Kyle's full, here, let's get real, it is not Kyle's full-time job and your part-time job. It is your full-time job. You just happen to be a teacher on the side. You happen to be a graphic designer on the side. You happen to be a social worker on the side. You happen to be a nurse on the side. Your full-time job, the minute Jesus laid hold of you, he didn't lay hold of you for that which the church lays hold of you. He laid, laid hold of you for this whole entire different purpose, that you would lay down what is precious to you, your time and your space and your talent and your treasure and your comfort and crawl across Legos. Ouch. To get to somebody and tell them that they're included. Either... We get on this agenda of Jesus's or we live this happily religious life where Jesus operates at the center and gets blamed for the bad things that happen to us and we hashtag bless everything good. That's not what he's asking of us. He is asking us for a radical reorientation of our life that begins with blessing the least, the last, and the lost, you and me, with his very own presence, which is why Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, he included everyone in his death, Jesus, so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people could have ever lived on their own. He comes, Jesus, offering us a far better life than we could have ever lived on our own. And it's not like a Christian version of singleness and a Christian version of marriage and a Christian version of working and a Christian version of sex and, and a Christian version of, of, of going to school. It, it, is a, it is a radically reoriented life around the person and kingdom of Jesus who shows us in his living and his dying what it means to actually be human. What it means to actually be human. And he tells us he tells us something radical. He says, my kingdom is for the least and the last and the lost. And good news, you're included. Let's pray. God, we, um, we have imaginations far too small for what you want for us. And so we, um, who are sad, bring you our sadness. We who hunger and thirst for righteousness bring you that hunger. We who know um, that we are spiritually zeros, we, uh, we bring that too. But also, God, we bring the ways that we are not these kinds of people and invite you to remind us that we are, in fact, these kinds of people. God, thank you that it does not rely on our responsibility, that there was no list of spiritual haves and have-nots that we could have gotten on apart from you. Thank you that by your grace, you have brought this kingdom to us. Help us to be kingdom people. God, I pray for my friends here that you would continue to turn up the challenge knob on them, that you would continue to turn up the invitation knob in their lives so they could um, see you more fully and that we might live a life that you say is really, truly worth of congratulations, really, truly blessed. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
This is an upside down meal. This is an upside down world. Because in this world, Jesus tells us that to be whole is actually to be broken. Uh, Jesus tells us to be whole and to be full is actually to be poured out. And he tells us that in emptying ourselves and in breaking ourselves, we actually experience his kind of life, which is truer and deeper and more real. That's why we come to this table every week, because we need to remember what it is to be truly blessed. What it is to be included not only in his death, but also in his new life. And so the way we do this is we receive communion every week. You come forward, we'll rip off a piece of the bread because grace is given. It is never like something you pluck out of a basket. And as we say, you'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, And so, um, Danny the intern, come here. Um, And Steph, um, and Caitlin, you're always in the back. Come here, this will be fun. We have gluten-free, so everybody, you know, live accordingly. Okay, there you go. So, Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ. That in the eating and drinking of them, we might be reminded of a meal that we will one day share in your kingdom a meal that you long to share with us even now in your very own presence. God, remind us what it means to be blessed today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The table is open. So Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who has a hundred sheep and one of them got lost. What is he going to do? He won't leave the nine, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost person who repents and turns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's the kingdom, my friends, and it is upside down. Um, I love you so much. I'm excited about this series. Uh, We'll see you at the Collins house tonight. Love you, bye.